Blog Talk Radio. And good morning, and this is Coach Chuck Creasy with American Tennis. And, folks, we have been off the air here for three or four weeks, and I'm just getting back in the swing of things. Gosh darn it, the traveling and everything that we have to do, and it's just part of the deal. But uh, summer times are tough, but I'm glad to be back here in the office and working again and doing the program. And now we've completed you can believe this one, we have completed seven years. That is just unbelievable and hard to, hard to understand how fast that time has gone, but seven years it is. Um, I wanted to kick off the program this morning with a couple things. There we go. There we go. How about it? How about it? And we are back in action. understands what the heck's going on out there. What a battle. What a fight. 
between parents and kids who want their who want their to be improve and the youngsters who want to improve the coaches too who just detest this no ad scoring and this doggone uh, tiebreakers for the third set and abbreviated tennis. How could anybody watch Wimbledon and think that our kids are being trained up to be top tennis players? How could anybody? Now, the results speak for themselves. We sure do need a champion, don't we? We need someone who can lead the charge. And after, gee, let's see, 17 years since Andy Roddick in 2002 or 2003, no U.S. Open, no Wimbledon, no French Open, or no Australian Open champions from the USA. And on the women's side, doing a little bit better, but could this have something to do with the way we are bringing the kids up to, we're giving them all the training in the world, we've got all the methods, we've got that magic pathway as the sports science people keep talking about the pathway and I've always said we need a freeway, we need your way, we need my way, we need every way possible, any way possible. And when they just tell us, go take that hill, we need to be able to do it in many, many different ways. We don't need this one rigid cookie-cutter pathway that these sports science people and these marketing people work out for us. So. There, in a nutshell, is going to be the political talk today. Uh, I want to go very quickly to uh, our topic, which is the ultimate control is learning to give up control. I spent a lot of time with youngsters in the summertime. I spent a lot of time on the court teaching them more than just the technical parts of the game and the tactical parts of the game. Of course, we call it the mental part of the game is huge, but, but really, folks, it's, it's, it's the mental part, but it's also the emotional part of the game and uh, finding that right balance of uh, how to execute uh, when, when it comes down time to, to get the job done. Any of you watching the Atlanta Open, uh, watched last night, Kevin King, I'm so interested in how this former Georgia Tech All-American is doing. He got uh, past Dimitrov. First of all, he qualified. Then he got past Dimitrov. And uh, I had a great opportunity to watch him play in a professional event earlier this summer, well, a couple weeks ago up in New Jersey. And he lost a very, very close match to Stefan Koslov. And uh, I was there, and I go, wow, for a big man, for a big guy, I think he's 6'3 or 6'4, he's quick, he's fast, he's competitive, he keeps a great mental balance on the court. Uh, he's got the tools, and he's, he, he has, I, I really, really believe that he, this upside that he has is coming, and I'm hoping that this is the week that he puts it all together and he already has qualifying for this uh, ATP event and then beating Dimitrov in the first round. So let's watch Kevin King, folks. He'd be one one of our American kids from Atlanta. But uh, the re- the thing I'm talking about I want to I want to get to is the fact that in tennis the emotional part of it is so so big and a lot of times players 
they're so, so close and they don't see that they're that close. They feel it almost, but they, they just can't quite get over the emotional humps that they need to. Kevin King's one of those players. Kevin, uh, again, when I watched him, I go, man, this guy, when he lost to Kozlov, they played 22 games, and I counted the amount of war zones. Now, war zones are the extended games, those that go do sad, do sad, do sad. They had, out of 22 games, 17. 17 out of the 22 games were war zones. The match lasted two hours and 48 minutes, 50 minutes. It was a war. Now, in the end, Kevin lost 7-5-6-2 or 6-2-7-5, I think. Uh, and, but those 22 games, they had 17 war zones. The whole time I'm telling my, saying to myself, look, just a little bit of, just a bit of confidence. It basically means leaning into the right, right, right shots. It means not pressing mentally. Usually it's being quiet in your head, loud in your body. And just so, so close, I said, I just hope this guy will stay with it because this guy is an athlete. This guy respects the sport. This guy was trained by the great Kenny Thorne at Georgia Tech, two-time All-American there. He grew up in Atlanta, and he's a kind of player that we really, really need to break into the uh, uh, light here, open light. You know, uh, Tennis Sangren at, you know, from the University of Tennessee just broke out of the pack this last year, and I believe Kevin King can too. But we need these American heroes to come forward so that our kids have players to emulate, players to look at, players to copy, players to learn from, players to get confidence from, and saying, I can do this too. He did this. I can do this too. And uh, so we, we really, that's the biggest thing that we need emotionally for as a tennis community, United States of America, we need to stop acting like underdogs. We need our role models to step up and step out, not just being guys that are, are looking for something, uh, to be given to them or, you know, the, the, the coaching has to be a bit tougher, but the bottom line, we need, to see every American player honoring and respecting the game and showing the toughness for what the game really is. And that in itself will help our whole, whole tennis um, arena in the United States to get tougher and stronger. But we need some champions out there. We need some champions. We don't need, just need good players or players that win a tournament here or there. We need champions those that act like champions, walk like champions, talk with the respect for the game that you have to have as a champion does, and and we'll be doggone well on our way. I want to talk about the emotional part of the game, though, and giving up control. The ultimate control is giving up control. So here's the analogy. Often I have uh, <clears throat> said to players something like, when you're working on your tennis game at practice, when you're just working on your strokes and how you hit your serve and your backhand, your forehand, and your fitness and all those things that it takes to play the game, it's like building a great race car in the garage over here. 
you build the car and you put the right tires on the car, you, you put the right engine in it, you, you do everything you can to build the best race car that you can. And sometimes you do a great job and win, win one, uh, you build one that's uh, capable of winning the Indy 500. Sometimes with the tools that you have, you know, the God-given tools that you have, you can only build a, a doggone stock car or something that isn't quite an Indy racer, but it's pretty darn good. So you build what you can build with what you got to build with. That means the God-given ability and opportunities that you've had, but you're building this race car. So you build it, but then guess what? You've got to take it out and learn how to drive it. And any of you have ever taught your children how to drive, you know what this process is. First of all, you got to drive in a parking lot. Oh, my dad used to teach us how to drive in a cemetery. Can you imagine that? They had these small little curving, curving roads, <laughs> and you were always looking around and saying, whoa, a lot of dead people here. My father always used to say, you know, son, we're going over here, and uh, we're going to drive in a place where people just dying to get into. And, you know, one of my dad's corny jokes but we used to take us to a cemetery a parking lot then a cemetery then what then they would find an old country road or something where there's not much traffic then they would find places where there's a little bit of city traffic then they would take you and build up and do a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more until finally you could drive on interstates or new york traffic well i don't know if anybody could really drive into new york traffic so the bottom line on that is that you have to learn how to drive the race car after you build it. And you're constantly in the process of learning how to add on, take off, but you're, you're constantly learning by successes and failures. In tennis, you have to lose a lot more than you win at the start. So it's if you could separate the physical part, then the mental part, and the emotional part, understand that the physical part is all of those skills that you learn. It's the race car that you build. It's from the fitness, the nutrition, uh, your forehand, your backhand, your serves, everything that you need to play the game. I'm going to make a statement here that I remember it was year 18 in college coaching. I realized after time and time in, time out, telling players that you need to do this a little bit better. Why can't you catch on? Why can't you catch on? I realized it's a very simple statement, but you cannot see yourself play. You only feel yourself play. And until you do it, it's very hard to do it. Until you live from the inside out as a tennis player, you don't know what it is to live as a tennis player. As a parent, you can watch your youngsters play, and you say, wow, how could they miss such an easy ball? Wow, they've got this rocket serve. Why can't they get it in? Wow, why can't they win? Why can't they put it all together? Well, the ultimate thing to understand is they can't, just like you can't see yourself walk, or you can't see your posture until somebody shows it to you. Have you ever taken a video of yourself, and you go, oh, my golly, my posture, is that really what it is? Oh, my golly, is that really the way I walk? Oh, my gosh, is that really what my voice sounds like? Until that you've, you've done that and seen yourself, you can't see yourself, 
at all. You can't hear yourself. You you only you you learn how to do things from the inside out. So the tennis player can't see themselves play. They only feel themselves play. And until they do it, they don't know how to do it. Kevin King last night, I was watching him. Hey, I was watching him try to close off that match with Dimitrov. And I've got to tell you, this fits in right with my narrative today. He controlled the most important thing that he was able to control and with, without, without compromise, he controlled, <clears throat> number one, what the other person see, what the other person saw. He controlled what Dimitrov saw. He saw Kevin King, yeah, Kevin missed some sh balls there at the end, and you know as a coach how tight he was trying to close that. You know as a coach that at that point the player would almost give their left arm to probably not his left arm since he's left-handed, but he would give anything in the world just to get through that one game, that one point that you need. And all of it, Federer at the end of that long five-hour match, he hits those two aces. After he did, he's up 40-15, folks. I'm watching and I'm saying, body serve, body serve, body serve. You don't go lying again, body, body. You've got to play a tough point right there. This is a tough point. It's not match point yet. It's it's not over until it's over. And as a coach, you see this, but every player, every player plays this game from the inside out. And you can go back and video it and make adjustments, but every player plays from the inside out. Last night, Kevin controlled his body language. He controlled the most important thing. Now, here we go. I want to give you the tips here. And it'll be uh, so number one, what you can control, what you can't control. There are four things on my side of the court. Number one is what I see, number two, it's what I feel, number three, it's what I think, and number four is what I do. So what I see, what I feel, what I think, what I do. My opponent has four things. What he or she sees, what he or she feels, what they think, or what they do. Four things. What I see, what I feel, what I think, what I do, what my opponent sees, feels, thinks, or does. Now, four of these are controllable, four of these are not controllable. And I want to give you this heads up. As I have talked to juniors, this players this summer at camps and other players, I make this very, very point number one as far as being able to control what you can control. I tell them, first of all, regardless, without a doubt, I always ask them the question, can you control your feelings? And a lot of them say, well, yeah, I can. Can you really? So if you could control your feelings, would you really allow yourself to have anxiety, anxiousness, fear? Would you, uh, whether or not it's good or bad, really do you control your feelings? No. Feelings come to you like the weather. Sometimes good feelings come, sometimes bad feelings come. 
So I was asked them, well, so what is it about feelings? Can you control them? They say, no. I say, can you control what your opponent feels? No. You can try. You can try to make them fearful, I guess. You can try to control them by, I don't know, some type of tactics on your side of the court within the rules. I don't know. Maybe they become – but really you cannot control what you feel or what your opponent feels. So I often tell youngsters, I'll say, you know what, your feelings don't matter. And they'll look at me like, wait a minute. I'm sure that Oprah and Dr. Phil always say get in touch with your feelings, but your feelings don't matter on a tennis match in a sporting contest. Your feelings don't matter because you cannot control the feelings. So this is what you have to learn how to do. I say with your feelings, you can't control what you feel. Can you control what you think about your feelings? Okay, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. What do I do? Well, I'm sure that Kevin King, when he was trying to serve out the match, his body language, as I told you, remained pretty darn good. So he must have been bouncing. He must have said, okay, what do I do? What's my routine here? What Coach Kenny Thorne teach me or what what have I learned to do under pressure here? So I'm going to maintain my good – I'm going to bounce. I'm going to run in place. I'm going to control my body language. So first of all, yes, what I think, I need to do something about this, and then what do I do about this? Yes, you can control what you think and what you do. You cannot control what you feel. But the most important thing you must control first, regardless of everything else, you must control what the other person sees. The other person sees you, they feel themselves. You see the other person, you feel yourself. These both, these all have some, a, a great deal to do with the amount of pressure that you put on yourself or don't put on yourself. So let's talk about these. So I can control what I think, what I do. I must control first what the other person sees. So they, regardless, if you're a tennis player, learn to control your body language. Learn that no matter what the situation, always have that body language go-to, the go-to body language that you have under pressure because pressure is part of the deal here, folks, with tennis. It's just part of the deal. You're going to have pressure if you're going to play tennis. If you're going to play top tennis, you're going to have a lot of pressure. When you're trying to knock off a former top five player in the world like Dimitrov, Kevin King is going to feel a lot of pressure. And he, it's the weight of the world almost. And it, you, you really want to get through that situation and duck it, but you can't. You must go through it. You must lean into the pressure. You've got to lean into the uncertainty. You've got to address it. I tell the players when your rear end starts to quiver, you still have to deliver, man. And you must be able to lean into that pressure. It's part of the deal. So you control what you think, what you do, but you must first control what you see. And guess what? If you do that, the tennis gods give you the big reward of controlling what you see. So they come in this order. It's what my opponent sees, what I think, what I do, and 
If I do that, the tennis gods allow me to control my eyes. So, the great Mats Wielander, about, oh, six, seven years ago at College Park, where he was up there doing a seminar, College Park, Maryland. The great Mats Wielander, I, I remember a statement he made. He said, on practice days, you worry about your side of the court and try to get things right. On game day, you only think of the other side of the court. You are the constant. They are the variable. The minute the game comes where you're, you become the variable and you worry about my game, my forehand, my serve, my this, my that, you might as well give two games away because you will slide downhill the minute that you lose it on the tennis court. So that feeds right into what his narrative was that day about telling the kids on game day, my side of the court, on match day, you think about the other side of the court and play many matches early and often in the match to where you remember the scenarios for late in the match. Wow, what good stuff. So, what I see becomes the reward from the tennis gods if I control thinking the right thing, doing the right thing, but absolutely controlling. Controlling what the other person sees. The uncontrollables, again, I can't control what I feel. I can't control what my opponent feels. I can't control what my, my, my opponent thinks. I cannot control what my opponent does. But I've got my four, and if you can remember those four and stick to them in the heat of the battle, you are off and running. So I want to tell you a little quick story about what I usually try to explain to players when I do seminars about what a tennis match is and how little control you have over it. It is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate competitive game within control, it's sophisticated boxing, it is chess, it is person against person, it is wrestling, it's it's a one-on-one -on -one combative that is probably the hardest, absolutely the one of the hardest games there is. To respect it any less than that, we're cheapening it. So I've always told a tennis player that you must give up control to get control. The ultimate control is to give up control. So I tell them, imagine you've got a canoe and one paddle. A canoe, not a boat, not a flat bottom, not a stable boat, but a little tippy canoe. A tippy canoe and a tennis match too. So a tennis, in the tennis match, this tippy canoe you get in it, and you go out into this, what seems starting out as a nice, calm little river. And the river sort of takes you, but you notice as you get going down the river, it gets a little faster, a little faster. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We got a little bit of rapids coming up here. Huh, okay, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't control the river. I can only control my paddle and what I do in reacting to the situation. So that river called a tennis match is going to take me in a bunch of different directions. So that river called a tennis match takes me in different directions. It takes me right toward the boulder. It's going to smash me, and i got to maneuver my way out of there. And I go through rapids, then I get a little bit of a calm place where when you get up in a match comfortably, maybe a 4-1, 
Oh, and but can you take it easy at that point and just not concentrate in that calm part of the river? No. Here comes some more rapids, right, when you're trying to close that set out. Oh, my golly, here comes a small waterfall or maybe a big waterfall. I have to control what I can control, and then I must be alert enough to go through fast waters, smooth waters, in between waters, boulders in the waters, un, unprepared for, unplanned on situations, boulders there that weren't there the last time you went down the river. Every river that you can do in a tennis match is different. So you get the feeling there and the respect that you need. If a tennis player will go into the tennis match and understand my first job is to honor and respect this game. The second job, I must respect the competitor on the other side of the court so that I honor his effort what or her effort, what they're doing as well. It doesn't mean you need to be subservient or, or put yourself in an underdog role, but you must respect the other competitor. With that, you're the right state of mind to get in that canoe, that tippy canoe, and paddle through those obstacles. What we're not doing with junior tennis, and I'll just go here a minute, is that we're not teaching our kids how to get in that river long enough. We give them a couple boulders, a couple a couple rapids, and then that's it. And with the abbreviated scoring, it destroys their opportunity to really learn the important lessons that they need to early and the respect that they need to have for their tennis game and their, the game of tennis early so that as they go through their careers, they'll know what to expect, they'll be prepared for what to respect, they'll honor the game by working hard enough. When things are easy to pick up, they become easy to put down, and hard to pick up is hard to put down. So when we make things easier for kids, we do not make it better. I do not buy into the philosophy, the modern-day philosophy that kids have changed. They're the same snotty-nosed, runny-eyed, dorky kids and sometimes not as more dorky than others and sometimes less dorky but like you and me and all of us had those times that are going to make mistakes that learn from our mistakes but we have not changed what what has happened is societies yeah changing a little bit with all these computers and these cell phones and and everything but people have not changed so i will not ever buy into this notion that, oh, kids' attention span is less now, so we need to change the game of tennis and make it easier to pick up so that they will try to pick it up. And guess what? Magically, they might one day make a transition to being able to get in that river called a tennis match and be able to maneuver through the obstacles and come out on top at the end. It just doesn't work that way. It is completely wrong thinking. I've always wondered why why some of our leaders and things are going towards easier to pick up and then just making it easier to pick down, pick up, excuse me, put down. Easier to pick up is easier to put down. And I, I don't, I think on the surface they might 
think that that's the right thing to do. But if you've ever been a teacher or a leader or a coach or anything, you realize that the lessons, only the lessons that are hard, only the lessons that are you have to pay a big price for are the ones you respect and the ones that you uh, that last for a lifetime. Recently, uh, I read something the guy wrote, and he said, look, more matches played, just get them played. Get them played in a short amount of time. And I wrote back to him, and I said, you know, the matches that you remember are those for your life are those ones that were really, really hard, the ones that were really, really tough, the ones that you were up three times, down three times, you got your heart broken at the end. You remember and learn from those. Golly, uh, a catalyst for me when when I was a sophomore in high school, I never will forget with being up four one to third, two service breaks and losing. And a big catalyst for working hard, I remember, was that I never ever 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 wanted that to happen again. So you work on your serve. <laughs> again, you work on it over and over and over again. So the heartbreak teaches you, but also I won a 20 to 18 in the third match. My, I had a high school match when I was in high school, 1968, spring 1968. I, was, I won 7-5, 3-6, 20-18, to 18. and I will never forget that match the rest of my life, and it was something that, to me, I I knew that I would never show disrespect for the game of tennis again the rest of my life because of how hard it was. All of us have these kinds of stories, but we need to make memorable, memorable, memorable memories and situations for our youngster. It's a duty of ours to help our youngsters learn to respect this game and to honor. It's much more than just a game. It's a great, great sport. Please, those of you who are out there and leaders, let me tell you something. In my 47 years of teaching tennis that I know without, without, without a doubt is that you cannot turn something that is a participation in an event into something that ever becomes of great quality. Participation does not breed excellence. However, if you pursue excellence, you will have many, many, many participants. That's where we're making the mistake. It's a huge, huge mistake that some of our leaders, they believe that participation, and maybe we'll get more participation through shortening things or abbreviating things. And in the end, all that happens, you get a lot of results that don't grab the heart, touch the heart, or engage the heart of our youngsters. And the goal should be to do all three of those. So I'm actually very, very glad to be back uh, here on the air. Um, we'll be back again next week with American Tennis. I want you to do your part, your part, all of our part, is to go out and to work with that person in front of us. The circle of concern is big, but our circle of influence are those couple people right around us. So spread tennis. Don't spread it as something cheap. Spread it as something valuable. 
God bless you all, and we will see you next week. Coach Chuck Creasy reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. We'll see you all next week.